you take your Bibles and if you turn with me now to, to the book of James as we continue on in this, this letter that, that the Lord has seen fit to put in this 66 books of the Bible. And James was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, uh, had the same mother, Mary, but different father because Jesus' father was God Almighty. And, but that he was saved after Jesus' resurrection from the dead and that he was called to be an apostle and that he is one who, who really is a man who is, he's a man who just knows how to get right to the heart of the matter. He is a man who doesn't dilly-dally. He doesn't try to just uh, ease you into things, but he's desirous for you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to remain firm and steadfast. His, his desire is for us to be fully sanctified in the word, to be fully sanctified in Christ Jesus. And he's been given this wisdom from above and called to be an apostle. And so what he has written from us to us is the very word of God through him. And so we have this heavenly wisdom that God has seen fit to give us so that we can live by heavenly wisdom instead of by earthly wisdom, instead of by our own wisdom, which is worth not much. And so we need this wisdom from above and God has seen fit to do that. And um, in the context, of course, you know, two of the main things that James is talking about is, and, and, and talks about a lot is, is pride and humility. And he talks about the tongue and he talks about that over and over again. And he talks about um, that Dean was preaching last week which ties in with what we're gonna read about here in verses 11 and 12. But I, I'd like to read starting at verse uh, chapter four, verse one, to put it into context because it, it, it carries over into 11 and 12 and then the verses that follow will also uh, carry over and have a part in what's in verses 11 and 12. So it says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That's one of the main points that he's always bringing out, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. It separates us from friendship and fellowship with God. You either, you cannot love and serve two masters. You either love the Lord or you love the world and the things of the world. And he wants us to be in the world, but not of it. And that was a point that Dean was making last week. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I mean, you can't get any more clear than that. And he says, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, that gift that he has given all of his people, God and Jesus, they yearn, they yearn over that spirit jealously. They, they're desirous so much for you to be 
those who walk by the Spirit and are led by the Spirit and that you don't be conformed to the things of the world, but that you're more and more conformed to the image of Christ Jesus and he's working in you to will and to do his good pleasure. And therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So he's saying right here, one of the things that God hates and it causes us great damage is pride. That was what brought the devil down. It was pride. He desired to be in God's place. He's what he's still desiring. And he's desiring all the time that he's roaming the earth now and until the Lord comes back and stomps him out forever that he's desirous to cause especially God's people to stumble, to cause us to fall, to cause us to be looked upon as hypocrites, to cause us to be looked upon by those who are outside the church as those who really aren't any different from those who are outside the church, that we are just as the same as those who are outside. And that's not true. If you're a true Christian, you have turned your back on the things that gave you pleasure and joy when you were a non-Christian. And now your heart is going in a different direction. And you're headed towards you. You're here tonight because you want to be here instead of somewhere out celebrating like you used to do and, and running wild and now you want to be in the house of the Lord. You want to be learning the scriptures. You want to be going to Bible studies. You want to pray. He turns your life around in a different direction and he wants you, he gives you that desire in your heart that more than anything else, you want to please Jesus. You want to look forward to his coming. And it says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So you're either going to draw near to the devil or you're going to draw near to God. And so that's the, what he's saying, run from the devil and run to God. And God's going to make the difference. He will stand up for you. He will fight for you. And he will cause the devil to flee. And he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's saying, get serious about these things and don't just keep on going around thinking everything's all right and you just keep it on just going through the motions. But instead... Make these firm commitments to the Lord Jesus and that you're going to continue to walk with him and that you're going to do everything in the power of the Holy Spirit that you can to be pleasing in his sight and to be a child that people can recognize has been adopted into the very family of God. That they're going to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. And humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humility. If you think you've got it, you won't have it. So humility is the, is, is, the, is the key ingredient. And nobody did that in the greatest extent but Jesus. And you can read about that in Philippians chapter 2 when he, um, when he came from heaven and didn't consider those things something to be grasped or to be held on to, but instead came and humbled himself in the form of a man and came and and uh, in that state of humiliation and, and lived that life in total dependence on the, on the Lord and on the word of God and never sinned. It always pleased the Father. And then we come to this part here where it was our text for tonight, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 4 of James. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. 
but who are you to judge your neighbor? Oh Lord, we need your guidance. We need the Holy Spirit to give us understanding and enlightenment, and we need the Holy Spirit to cause us to walk in obedience to these truths that we hear tonight. And I confess that I above all need this. I need you to work mightily in me and ask it for Christ's sake that you would be pleased to do these things for us. Amen. Now, you notice how many times here that it's talking about people in the church now, how many times he's using the word brothers, okay? So he's distinguishing here between the people who are in the church and people who are outside the church. Now, there's an author I like named David Gooding, um, and in his commentary on Acts, he speaks about the world in general, and he says, here's the root of the world's troubles. The world, the universe, has a personal owner. Mankind are but tenants and stewards, but people are not content to be tenants. They live as though the land, her Lord, had no right to expect any dues of love, obedience, devotion, and service from them. They live as if there were no owner. Worse still, they aspire to being, each one of them, owners in their own right. They have no love for the owner's son, for whom, in fact, the universe was made, who was the agent in its creation, and is the maintainer of its present stability and is its redeemer and eventual restorer. So that tells you right there the, the trouble that is, is with the world and what their problem is, is that they don't acknowledge God in any of their affairs. They want to be their own God. And so you, I remember Dr. Paul Long Sr. saying one time, um, I don't know if it was just to me or if it was to a class that I was in, but he, he told me, he says, if our theology doesn't make us better Christians, it's really not doing us much good. And so that's the whole purpose of the word and the purpose of doctrine. We need right doctrine because we need to know the truth so that the truth can set us free so that we will walk in the liberty of Christ Jesus in doing those things that he says and finding great joy in it because it's not a duty it's a pleasure. It's a great honor to be able to do what God says. And he's given us his perfect law so that we have his wisdom to go by and that we don't have to try to substitute our own thoughts, our own man-made wisdom in the place of God Almighty. I remember Mama and Daddy saying to me and my brothers and my sister every now and then, but usually it was me and my three brothers, don't get too big for your britches. Who do you think you are? Do you know who you're talking to? Don't you talk back to me. I'll slap your sassy face. Y'all you know? well, probably been there too, I hope you have. And that's good discipline from our parents. But just think about, we're doing that to God when we step in his place and we try to judge fellow Christians and take up uh, things of, of uh, matters with them that we have no business doing and we need to take heed where we stand unless we fall. Now, there was a friend of mine, Mr. Chum Trunsler, and um, his wife Dottie. They were, we called her Lady Missions at Trinity and uh, they moved to Meridian many years ago, but just terrific people. But he was, he was way up in years and in fact, he was 90 years old and he could still shoot his age in golf. Pretty incredible. 
but they had a wedding reception at the church and was in the fellowship hall and he and I were standing there together and, and we were just talking and drinking a cup of punch and he looked over there at me and he says, Pastor, he says, you know it says in the word that we're gonna all have to give an account for every word that we've ever spoken. I said, yes, sir. He says, therefore, I don't have any time for any idle chit-chat. <laughs> well, we do do a lot of idle chit-chatting, don't we? And uh, a lot of times it's, it's worse than just chit-chat. It's, uh, it's something that causes damage and destruction. It's slanderous. It's defamation of character. It's taking... Uh, sides against somebody um, is taking uh, the place where you sit in judgment upon somebody else's motives or actions. Uh, you may be jealous or you may be envious or it may be something that, it may be even something that's true, but you don't have to tell it, but you do. And you get some, some little bit of tidbit of glee in that. It's a, it's a, it's a sinful, hideous thing uh, the way sin wraps itself around us still in, in, in our Christian state. If we don't every day ask God to cut the head off of that old serpent, it still desires to coil around us and to coil around our hearts and to cause us to do those things that are, that are displeasing to him. And, and, um, but, you know, one of the, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, you know, because we're, the context is that we're supposed to humble ourselves before the Lord or, or do anything and not do anything from a sinful motive. But in Matthew 7, in Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was the uh, one who forbid a, a man to judge another man in the, in the sense of condemnation. And we are all under God's law, and God is the one who is a true judge who judges perfectly. And we are under the law and under the eye of our Heavenly Father. And he has placed all authority in the hands of his son, Jesus. And so, uh, tells us in, in the Old Testament, shall not the judge of all the earth do what's right? And so it's telling us that we're to do those things that are uh, uh, accordance to his law, according to his commandments. He's already given us a law. So anytime we step in and we do things or say things that are not in accordance with the law, we are placing ourselves in the place of being the judge and that we know better than, than God does about what's right and what's wrong. And we're making ourselves a law to ourselves and we are stepping into the place where we are really committing blasphemy because we are setting ourselves in the place of God, just like the devil. And it is a insinuous, sinful, terrible, terrible thing that we are doing. That's why I entitled this, this sermon, Beware Sinful Quicksand. That it's, it's something that without hardly even a notice, it sneaks up on you and then all of a sudden you're, you're sunk in it and you're fighting for your life. And, but God in his mercy oftentimes pulls us out and gets us back on our, on our right feet and walking on solid ground and on the highway of holiness. But it, it takes him. And so we're not to be doing those kind of things. But are we to judge? Are we never to judge? Well, there's a professor, R.C.H. Linsky. He was an old Lutheran commentator. And um, 
He has a lot of good things to say many times, and he does in this particular tape, this particular occasion on his interpretation of James. He says James himself states the kind of judging he refers to, namely running down a brother. To think that this, is, this refers to all judging would destroy the entire epistle as well as all apostolic denunciation of the sins of the readers. Preachers are to voice God's law and God's judgment on evil conduct in no uncertain terms. And brethren must likewise correct each other. But the judging that goes beyond this and aims only at tearing down the good name of a brother by imputing to him false motives and intents is an entirely different matter. It is a fragrant, it is a flagrant usurpation as if we had the power to send to heaven or to hell according to any law which we may be pleased to set up. That's scary. And it's supposed to be. And I think that's James's intent. That he's wanting to scare us into doing those things that would cause us to step into the place of God only is to occupy. And it tells us to take heed where you stand unless you fall. So we need to spend more time looking at our own sinful hearts rather than looking at others and making judgments upon them. And how do you, we were talking about in the Westminster Confession of Faith there tonight, how do you listen to a preacher? We have three outstanding preachers in this church. So thankful to have the privilege of knowing them and, and when I'm here to sit under their ministry. But there are some I know, not just here, but in all churches who, and I hear it when I visit churches and I visit a lot of them, that will make comments critical comments about the preacher. Didn't like this, didn't like what he had to say on this, didn't like what he had to say on this. So what are they getting out of the sermon? Nothing. Because they're sitting there with a critical spirit and what they're doing is they're going through, checking off the boxes of whatever the preacher's saying. They're not listening to him. Is he saying what the word says? Is he telling the truth according to the scriptures? then what right have you to criticize what God is sending to you through his instrument if he's telling you the truth and rightly dividing the whole counsel of God? Submit. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and submit to his truth and to his teaching, and he will cause you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. You seek to be equal with God and to sit in judgment on God's holy law so God's law is despised and brought into reproach and its authority is undermined. You put yourself by your sinful pride above God and his law. Satan does the same thing and your opinions undermine the scriptures. We're supposed to even humble ourselves enough so that we love our enemies, not just those of the household of faith, but we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be building each other up. It says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and out of the heart, the mouth speaks. I think our tongue is our indicator of the condition of our heart. 
How many of you have said things that you wish you had never said? How many of you said anything today you wish you hadn't said? Guilty, guilty, guilty. And nobody can control the tongue, tells us, except God, the Holy Spirit. And it's a flaming fire. It's a, it just sets the world on fire with things that will just destroy and will destroy God's work in his people by undermining them or causing them to, to be discouraged and to be disappointed and to, to not desire to come to church or not desire to be in fellowship with a certain group of people or, or something. It's just things that you do. But you want to always be doing those things that are, that are going to be building people up. Who's done more for you than Jesus? So why will you live stubborn? Why will you like stubborn sheep stray from his provision and his tender care? The man who is proud sells his soul cheaply for one puff of empty wind, one word of sweet applause, the soul is gone. It's Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Pride eats man's inward parts and leaves nothing. Pride comes with us to the house of God. It goes to our houses and to all other places that we go. It is a vile, creeping, insinuating thing which will twist itself like a serpent into our hearts. It will talk about humility and, cor and corruption most marvelously. It assumes many shapes, but the true throne of pride is the heart of man. And we are all our brother's keeper. So let me just give you a couple of things here to take with you for how we're supposed to behave. It's done enough about how we're not supposed to act and what we're not supposed to do in tearing people down and slandering people and saying things about them to make ourselves look better than what we should or look better in front of somebody else than we ought. We build ourselves up and we tear each other down, tear somebody else down. And so a lot of times we do it behind their backs, but sometimes we'll even do it to their face. We get so out of line with God's law that we will even be that presumptuous. But Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 says, let no corruption, no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. And this is a verse here that Rosie and I have to say to each other regularly, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Is there anybody that you have said more hurtful things to than to your spouse. Man, the one you love the most, but the one you're around the most, so you think you can do it and get by with it. <laughs> it's so sinful, so horrible. And I'm sorry, honey. So we, we, we ask forgiveness and we seek to, to strive to show the love of Christ and how much we truly are thankful for this great gift that he has given to us and our spouses. 
us men, our wives. Uh, what, a, what a gift a godly Christian woman is to us. You can read Romans 14 and go through Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. And then Galatians 6, 1 through 5 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. He says, what you've heard and learned and received from me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I want to close by letting you know how we're supposed to care for people and even those who are lost. James Robertson describes the loss of T.J. Jackson, later known as General Stonewall Jackson. His wife, Ellie, had given birth to a stillborn son, and then she suffered an uncontrollable hemorrhage. In a brief time on a Sunday afternoon, Jackson's whole world caved in, and he was utterly crushed. The next day, he wrote his sister, Laura. He told her he thought he could submit to anything if God strengthened him for it but he made no attempt to cover his sad despair. But then there in the middle of his note, there is a most moving one-liner. He says, oh, my sister, would that you would have him for your God. Oh, dear ones, if you're here and don't know Jesus, oh, that you would have him for your God. Let's pray. Father, we ask your forgiveness for the times that we have usurped your authority. You saved us by your power and might and grace. We didn't have a thing to do with it. It was all you, salvations of the Lord. Oh, how grateful we are that that is so necessary and that you did it all. And you get all the praise and the glory and the honor for it. And yet you've done all of these great things for us and turned our lives around. And yet, even in our, even in our state of being made righteous in Christ Jesus, that this sanctification process is continuing on and we walk this fine line between legalism and antinomianism so that we either want to say, don't do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, or legalism, or else we say, I'm free to do anything I want to and who are you to tell me what to do? Lord, you have the right to tell us what to do. And we're so thankful that you tell us what to do because it is right and it is your word, and it is what is best, and there is nothing else that ever comes close. So we thank you for putting this desire, we pray you'd put a deeper desire in our hearts to know your law, to know your commandments, and to desire to keep them and to walk in humility before you 
and to number our days, and Lord, to recognize that it is you who deserves all the praise and the glory and the credit for everything good that comes out of us. Lord, we pray that you would bottle up anything sinful and evil inside of us, and especially that you would put a hold on our pride and a hold on our tongue, and that you would cause us to use our tongues for edification and for blessing and not for tearing down. And we do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.